Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. Glad you're with us. I'm David Brody. It's Monday, April 26, 2021, and this week... We hit a milestone. The 100-day mark for Joe Biden is later this week. Some say that's 100 days too many. But either way, that's the reality Americans live in today. So all this week, we're going to be taking a closer look at what the Biden administration has done. Is he the new FDR, as his supporters like to think of him? Or is he more like SMH, as in the shaking my head emoji, because Uh, Even he is a president uh, that has done quite a bit of damage, a lot of folks believe, in this time in America. More in a moment. Also today, the pro-life movement on the move in Montana. A new Republican governor is good news for the pro-life movement. Three big new pro-life bills passed today. We're going to have the details. And a conversation with one of the top conservative cartoonists in the country, Anna Perez, will be along. She speaks with A.F. Branco. You don't want to miss it. But first... Joe Biden and 100 days. So let me say this right now, all right, folks? If you're looking for any sort of fair coverage of this time period from the so-called mainstream media, you're not going to find it. You're just not. They are so in the tank for Biden, it's frankly nauseating. So you want some proof? Let's go to the tape, shall we? Or how about this? I came across this story that the AP, the Associated Associated Press, was trying to pass off As an actual news article, it's titled this, More Action, Less Talk, Distinguished Biden's 100-Day Sprint. So let's plunge into it, all right? I hope you do have the Pepto-Bismol next to you nearby. This is some of what is in the op-ed article. Here we go. Excuse me, the op-ed article. This is actually a news story, not an op-ed. And it's written by an actual so-called reporter. Here we go. Some say he is a leader for this time. More action, less talk, and something for the history books. Already, Biden has achieved a pandemic relief package of historic breadth and taken executive actions to wrestle the country away from the legacy and agitations of President Donald Trump. Gone are the out-of-control news conferences. Gone are the sudden firings and impulsive policy declarations, both often in the form of a tweet off of the Trump year. Excuse me. He goes on to say, this is a reporter, folks. This is not an op-ed columnist. Quote, Biden wanted to occupy less of the American consciousness than did Trump, who dominated the discourse like no one else had while achieving almost nothing legislatively in his 100-day debut. Debut. The new president turned virus briefings over to the scientists and administration officials and didn't gag them. Do I have to keep reading? I'm going to read it. He filled his staff with policy experts and old administration hands, not provocateurs. The schedule on his card is full. The virus death tally inches up more slowly now. So far, He's played golf once. Oh, gosh. Someone, please. They had to get the golf dig, of course, in on Trump there at the end. Meanwhile, uh, while reporters trip over themselves with lavish praise for Biden, Republican officials are in Orlando this week at their annual strategy meeting. So here's a memo. It was put out by the National Republican Congressional Committee. Members received this. Here is what they are reading in Orlando this week. Quote, on immigration, the NRCC writes this. 
As a result of Democrats' failures to stop the border crisis, independents trust Republicans over Democrats to handle the issue of immigration by plus 16 points. And then on Nancy Pelosi, this is what the NRCC is telling its members. Quote, in February, Nancy Pelosi was already the most unpopular elected official in the country at a 41% favorable, 52% unfavorable rating. Since then, Pelosi's image has dropped a net seven points to 38% favorable, 56 unfavorable. Pelosi hit 60% unfavorable in Trump Democratic districts. Democrats in these districts, excuse me, are going to have an uphill battle defending their decisions to vote in lockstep with Pelosi's socialist agenda. Well, obviously, uh, we're going to watch all of that as we head to 22. But joining me now is Tom Jones, not the singer. I want to apologize for anybody looking for Tom Jones, the singer. Uh, Instead, this is Tom Jones. He heads up the group BidenNoms.com. He's with the American Accountability Foundation. He's also the former legislative director for Senator Ron Johnson. Tom, good to see you, sir. Hey, David, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Sorry to disappoint your viewers, not the singer. Well, that's fine. I mean, I think they're going to get over it, especially when they start hearing you talk about the Biden administration. Talk to us a little bit about your overall assessment of Biden's first hundred days. Your thoughts? Well, unfortunately, I think it's been pretty successful in getting nominees through. Um, I went back and looked at the numbers before I came on. This same time during President Trump's administration, he had gotten 26 nominees through. President Biden's gotten 33 nominees through the process already. And unfortunately, I think it's because our guys are just not fighting. And, you know, there's a long list of, of really problematic nominees that uh, that we should be really concerned about that have gotten through the process. What do you make of his overall agenda at this point? I mean, a lot of folks have said, look, H.R. 1, uh, Quality Act, D.C. statehood, uh, budget reconciliation. It's like the liberal, uh, the AOC uh, utopia list doesn't end. It really is. And I'm a firm believer in personnel is policy. And you kind of look at the top of the list, Mm. Xavier Becerra. This is a guy who has no healthcare background, picked to lead the Department of Health and Human Services. There's one one clear reason why he is a staunch pro-abortion radical. This is a guy who voted for partial birth abortion. More importantly, this is a guy who filed dozens of criminal complaints against the activist who exposed Planned Parenthood for selling baby parts. And this is the guy that, that they put in charge of the Department of Health and Human Services. It, it's really troubling. I, you know, This is all across this administration. You've got people like Kristen Clark, Benita Gupta. It, it's, it's really troubling. And it's a, a leftist agenda that we need to be really concerned about. Do I have my Senate rules correct? I mean, all, all it takes is a simple majority to get these nominees through, right? Because that's what Democrats did back in 2013 with Harry Reid. And uh, now, now they can just go through with 50, right? You do, but so as a former Senate staffer, you know, it's really the guys who go engage and blow up the process. It's really easy to slow things down in the Senate. Um, so we've got this unique situation where they're gonna need they're gonna need the vice president to be in the the president's chair in the Senate to break these ties. Unfortunately, what's happening is our guys just don't have the will to fight. Now, maybe it's because the average age in the Senate is 63 years old, but these guys are just not putting in the fight every day voting against it. We don't have party discipline that force a 50-50 vote so that Kamala Harris is in Washington off the Senate floor ready to vote instead of running around New Hampshire running for re-election already. Um, it's really disappointing that, that our leadership hasn't hasn't really kept our guys in line to to really slow down the process here. Well, that's interesting. So you're saying the Republicans, not only do they not keep together, stick together, but they don't, they're not even making uh, the Democrats sweat too much on, on this stuff. No, I mean, the, the Senate is all about operating on unanimous consent, all about get along, go along. And if 
you know, if our leaders had the really the will to go down there and blow this process up and say, look, you guys need to get out the cots and we're going to be working through all night because none of our guys are going to bail off and let this process go through. Yeah, they could really blow up the process and make a big difference here. Mm -hmm. Kristen Clark, let's talk about her. She's nominated yeah. to be assistant attorney general in the Civil Rights Division. I'm, I mean, what, there now apparently there's some emails out there where she compared cops to the KKK. Yeah. What's what in the world's going on here? Yeah, I don't know where they find these people. Um, <laughs> they certainly don't do a good job vetting these people. We had to step in and, and do some of this vetting for the Biden administration. And yeah, we were digging through the archives. She's sending around journal articles where the author is comparing the police to the Ku Klux Klan. She organized a conference in 1999 when she was a, a law student at Columbia University where she had a lie from death row with a guy who killed a police officer. This guy shot a police officer in the face on the streets of Philadelphia. She thought it'd be great to turn this guy into a rock star and do a live from death row video in April of 1999. I don't know where they find these people, but this is the woman who's gonna be investigating the Minneapolis police, the new announced investigation of the Louisville police. This is, this is who the Biden administration thinks needs to lead, lead civil rights. Really, really disappointing, really problematic. What's the latest on that as it relates to Republicans sticking together at least against her nomination? Yeah, I think they're sticking together, but you know, we've got the Murkowskis, the Collinses of the world, they get off the reservation and just, you know, vote for Vanita Gupta, vote for these other terrible nominees. And you know, if, if one breaks off, then the process is the, the skids are just greased and these guys go right through. So for the time being, you know, there's been a coalescence of opposition around Clark, but we need to hold together our weak sisters and our and our retirement caucus in the Senate. Make sure these guys don't get off the reservation. Listen, I got to tell you one thing about Trump. You know, I know warts and all. He had a lot of stuff going on, but obviously a lot of people love him. One thing he came in, he said, no more Mr. Nice Guy. You know, like yep. in other words, Democrats, they, you know, a lot of folks believe that Democrats play dirty. Uh, but Republicans, for some reason, they don't get down as much in the mud. I know if liberals are hearing this, they'll say, oh, they get down in the mud, too. But the truth uh, of the matter is, I'm not quite I'm not convinced of that. Yeah. And, you know, the, the great thing about when we do get into that fight, that's when the media is forced into covering it. When our guys are all touchy feely and play nice and want to be collegial. Nobody pays attention to that. Nobody understands these nominees. But we get down in the fight. We talk about how bad these people are. We get down and, and really get in the mud with these folks. Then the attention comes in. When the fight's excited, that's when the media attention and that's when the American people really learn about how radical these nominees are. Well, they always say personnel is policy. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because what, what do these nominations mean? They get through and what, what is that? What's the signal? What is that sending? What does that mean for America, Tom? Sure. So, you know, there is a technical expertise to growing government. There's a it takes work. And, and what matters here is, you know, the first round of cabinet nominees, those those folks are important, but it's those sub sub cabinet level folks that are doing the day to day work. They're giving the guidance to the careers. They're putting out the regulations. They're vetting the next the next judges. If those people get through, it really makes it a lot easier for the for the administration to execute on our agenda. That's why we want to gum up the works, because the fewer of those people you get into the administration, the harder it is for them to, to execute on the agenda. Um, we saw it during the Trump administration. You know, we had we had our own folks that had trouble getting through the process and we, we couldn't get them through. We couldn't get that American first agenda through the administration, much less through the Hill. Well, Tom Jones, really appreciate you being with us. Uh, hopefully, maybe you'll do a singing career as in addition to what you're doing uh, there. I really appreciate you. Hey, thanks a lot. All right, Tom Jones, uh, not to be confused with, let's be honest, uh, the, the rock star of the 60s and 70s. Look it up. I, am I dating myself, Madison? I'm dating myself, right? I know. Uh, anyhow, Tom Jones, look it up.
Uh, and type in Tom Jones, it's not unusual, anyhow. When we come back, uh, pro-life legislation in Montana going full force. Why? Because the governor is a big-time pro-life Republican, and he's signing so much legislation, we're going to catch up when we come back. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. In Montana, and really in so many different states across the country, they are passing a lot, tons of pro-life legislation. And let's be clear, uh, folks, pro-lifers are winning the debate uh, here in America. Now, I know on same-sex marriage, they're not. On the transgender issue, they're not. Uh, but from a Judeo-Christian standpoint, when it comes to the pro-life issue, legislation is indeed being passed at the state level. And I know Joe Biden's in control at the federal level. Sometimes you need to just step back for a moment and think about a, a little bit from the forest from the tree situation. Uh, in other words, uh, there was a pastor one time that said, take care of your own bean patch. I will never forget he said that. He said, take care of your own bean patch. You got to do what's right in front of you in your neighborhood, in your local district, in your state, uh, and in your city. Uh, and that's what's going on. So, for example, in Montana, uh, they've got, and I've got a whole list of bills I can read for you here, uh, but there's the uh, Born Alive Infant Protection Act, for example, being signed into law by the Republican governor there. There's the, uh, the pain-capable uh, bill as well. That means that a, a fetus, uh, excuse me, a baby, I should say, uh, feels pain. Uh, and that you can't abort the baby after 20 weeks. So that's being passed. And I can just go on down the list. Chemical abortion uh, also on the list. This is something the uh, Susan B. Anthony list, uh, who we've had on before, Marjorie Dannensfelser, the uh, president of SBA, has been very vocal on chemical abortion. So we're going to talk a lot about that right now. Uh, Sue Leibel uh, with us uh, from SBA list, uh, the state policy director. Uh, Sue, good to have you here on the show. Great to have to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, Sue, tell me about, I kind of ran down some of these bills, but what's happening in Montana? Because I tell you what, there's a lot of action in that state. There is. And uh, today's a big day in Montana. Um, and I might add that elections have consequences because bills that former governor vetoed, uh, Governor Gianforte has the um, honor of, of signing today. That would be a bill requiring ultrasound, um, a woman to uh, have the option to see ultrasound before her abortion, which we know is very effective. Uh, Pain-capable Unborn Child Protection Act, so can't abort a baby at the point that it feels the pain of it. And then um, an expanded uh, regulatory scheme for chemical abortion, the pills, the new frontier, which is the abortion pills. Um, and Montana will be putting in some regulations for that. Well, let's explore that new frontier on chemical abortion. Why don't you explain to our audience what, what you're talking about specifically and why it's a new frontier? Sure. Um, the chemical abortion pills were actually approved by the FDA in 2000. That's right. 21 years ago with some risk protocols. The FDA said this is dangerous. So you're going to have to have a doctor do this in person. You're going to have to have some blood tests done beforehand. You have to do some certain things before you just give these pills out because they're dangerous. Well, 
um, under a new Biden-Harris administration, unfortunately, they don't feel like that may be as important. And last week, the FDA announced that it will no longer enforce the in-person dispensing requirement. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is a very scary thing for us because we know that if a woman has an ectopic pregnancy, for example, where the baby is, has been stuck in the fallopian tube, these pills uh, have a 40% greater chance of complication and she could die. Um, also, they just have a four times greater complication rate than surgical abortions anyway. So um, mm -hmm. for, they're turning their back, really, on health and safety standards in the name, in the name of profits and the name of easier uh, access to abortion. Right, so basically pop it in the mail, so to speak, and uh, don't have to worry about the in-person appointment? Yeah, they're actually trying to, uh, they're trying out a new system of DIY, do-it-yourself abortions mm -hmm. by mail. Mm -hmm. Well, by default, you don't have a, any medical oversight when you do that, but we know that these pills are four times greater than the old-fashioned surgical way to begin with. So they're really playing fast and loose with these dangerous pills, and, and I'm sure that they're aware of it. Sue, talk to me about the court fight ahead. You had the Sixth Circuit ruling a certain way on the Ohio abortion discrimination ban, and then you had the Seventh Circuit ruling something different on a different, uh, on, a, on a similar piece of legislation. So, so where is this going exactly? It seems like uh, everyone, especially the pro-life community, is begging the Supreme Court to, uh, to rule on something along these lines. Well, I think what you're seeing is the legacy of President Trump's ability to appoint uh, judges to the circuit courts throughout the uh, United States. And of mm -hmm. course, the hope that um, the Supreme Court justices that are his legacy uh, brings us in the pro-life movement. So you're seeing states really hopping on the stick to pass uh, very strong pro-life restrictions, uh, trying to get bills up to the Supreme Court. Um, and we see that especially with, like as you mentioned, you know, the bills that would not allow discrimination in abortion, like if a baby has Down syndrome or because of its gender or its race. And so um, we've had um, the Seventh Circuit and the Eighth Circuit, unfortunately, overturn those laws uh, for Indiana, for Arkansas and other states. But the Sixth Circuit last week uh, upheld the discrimination ban uh, for babies with Down syndrome in Ohio and the uh, Tennessee bill was also in the Sixth Circuit. So now we have a circuit split. We've got one circuit saying one thing and another saying another, and that's what the Supreme Court is looking for. They're looking for that split um, so that they, and they come in and be the arbiter of that. Right. Um, yes. Yeah, so I wanna get a quick question about the Supreme Court, but first I wanna ask you about the Sixth Circuit. So is that a direct result of Trump's federal appeals judges? That, was, there, was there a shift on the Sixth Circuit or no? There was. There okay. was. He made additional appointments, and uh, that brought a strong pro-life decision. Okay. Um, got, got it. And, and as we, we've got about a minute left or so, but I just want to understand. So on the Supreme Court, uh, let's just, just, let's just lay it out there. John Roberts has been MIA. I mean, I don't know where he's going to be on the life issue specifically, but he is not a reliable part of that 6-3 block on the Supreme Court. What's your take? Well, I, I think you're right. We're, we're, we're not really sure what will happen there. Uh, but we know that we have, you know, we have seen Justice Gorsuch, Justice um, Amy Coney Barrett was the most recent. Mm -hmm. We really feel like this is the court is in the best position it's been in um, in quite some time, if, if ever. 
Um, it's you know it's never it's never good baseball to predict what's going to happen on the Supreme Court. Yeah. So uh, so I won't be making a, a judgment there, but we do know that there's a lot more hope and there's a lot more possibility now on the court for pro, the pro-life issue uh, than ever before. Well, Sue, Sue Leibel, uh, State Policy Director for SBA, really appreciate you being here. A lot of hope there and also uh, definitely in Montana today. Really appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Uh, great to have her on. Uh, we'll get Marjorie Dannensfelser on uh, hopefully next week. Uh, we'll kind of get an update and move forward on that. All right. When we come back, Stephanie Rawlings Blake will be here. She's been on the show before, former mayor of Baltimore. Uh, she Democrat, uh, I, liberal, sure. We'll talk to her about uh, policing in America and what is the bipartisan solution here exactly? Is there one? Back in a moment. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, policing in America. What is the way forward? Is there, a, is there a bipartisan solution? We hear a lot of talk. When is the action going to happen? And if the action does happen, what is it going to look like? Uh, let's get some answers from Stephanie Rawlings-Blake former mayor of Baltimore and back with us on the show. Stephanie, always great to see you. Great to be with you today. Well, we haven't talked uh, since the Chauvin verdict uh, came down. Uh, maybe I want, why don't we start there, just kind of get your sense of, of what happened there and what it means going forward uh, in America. What, what were some of your initial thoughts on that? So my, my initial thought is that it's justice for George Floyd and any other uh, victim uh, at the, the hands of uh, aggressive policing, you know, it's more than a verdict. It requires all of us to, who are committed to police reform to actually show up when they're hearing, to testify, to write to our elected officials. So while I was heartened that the overwhelming evidence that the, the jury uh, saw, heard, and believed the overwhelming evidence, that does not change uh, a system that uh, allows uh, officers who should not uh, wear the badge to be um, police officers across this country. Yeah. So then the question becomes, uh, what's the road forward here? What's the blueprint? I mean, there's the there's kind of like the Democrat liberal agenda on this about, you know, no chokeholds and they want, you know, they want to lift immunity and so there's that. And then there's like what can really happen in Congress uh, with the Republic, potentially bipartisan support. What, what's kind of the prescription? Where, where do you think is the middle ground here or, or is there any middle ground? So I don't know if there's middle ground with this Congress. Uh, mm. I'm, I, I like to stay optimistic because, you know, I'm a mom. I have a, a, a teenage daughter. I want to believe in my heart that our country's best days are ahead of us. Uh, but I see a level of gridlock and almost tribalism in our Congress today that is, um, is disheartening. We deserve better. We deserve a Congress that is about doing the business of our country, uh, not just arguing, 
Uh, so you know, I don't know if there's middle ground. I would say that part of a path forward has to be the uh, police union and uh, police officers organizations acknowledging the fact that they have a problem. And while the overwhelming majority of police officers who are wearing the badge do so with honor and, and put their lives on the line every single day that they show up to work, there are a few that make it dangerous for those good officers and dangerous for the communities that they are supposed to protect. And they need to police themselves. Well, I 100% I agree with you. One bad apple spoils the whole bunch, if you will. And in this case, more than one bad apple, quite a few bad apples. But here's the thing. What you just said there, uh, Stephanie, is exactly right. It, it was nice of you, or not, I say nice of you, it was accurate of you uh, to say that the majority of police officers are, are putting on the badge every day and trying to do the best they can. Uh, but, 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 but there are bad apples out there for sure. So then the question becomes uh, on the immunity issue. I, I know Democrats want to basically allow uh, folks to potentially sue a police officer, specifically Republicans like Tim Scott are saying, well, wait a minute, how about you sue the actual police organization, the police, uh, the, the police, um, uh, well, I say organization, the police organization. Yeah, the city. Uh, yeah, the, city. the city. What do, what do you think about that as a former mayor of Baltimore? You know, I have mixed feelings. Uh, there needs to be a way to hold uh, individual officers accountable. Um, but I don't think that the qualified immunity in and of itself solves that issue. Yeah. I think we need to do a better job of pre-screening officers. I think we need to do a better job of in ongoing maintenance and ongoing evaluation of officers to make sure that they are fit to serve. Uh, we need to do a better job identifying those officers with red flag behaviors. Um, you know, I, I don't think we're going to get to where we need to be by dealing with uh, the qualified immunity, which means we're dealing with something after the fact. We need to spend more time trying to prevent um, something like what we saw with George Floyd happening uh, again. Yeah, you know, I can go down the list and go to Trayvon Martin and every, every you know, just down, down the whole list. And, and here's George Floyd, the George Floyd case. You would think that this would be, quote, the one. It feels a little bit like gun con the gun control debate, too, where, you know, well, th this mass shooting at a, at, at a school, this is going to be the one that, that pulls it over the finish line. But I'm, I'm, I'm with you in this camp of I'm not, I don't have any confidence in this Congress to do anything. Well, it, it's not, and I don't want to blame just the Congress. A lot of this is about what um, citizens are willing to do. Yeah. Um, as far as being advocates, I mean, when when we consider advocacy, a tweet or a Facebook post or just showing up at a march without doing the the follow up work, uh, you know, the the NRA wins when it comes to gun control, and the police unions win when it comes to police reform. We have to be vigilant and active, um, not just in the streets, but in state capitals across this country, in city halls across this country. country. Uh, we have to be present uh, when the decisions are being made. Yeah, by the way, did you kind of cringe a little bit like everybody else did when Nancy Pelosi said, thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice? I mean, that wasn't quite, uh, yikes. I don't think that you was. You know, I, I don't think. I think I've certainly been uh, guilty of um, 
misspeaking. <laughs> and and the the sentiment in my heart not necessarily matching the words coming out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, she is a human and all of us are fallible. And the same grace that I give anyone who says that, you know, they, they misspoke or they said something and, and you know, it was really not, it, it didn't come out the way that they wanted, wanted. I extend that grace to her and anyone else and I hope that it is extended to me. Fair enough. Stephanie Rawlings Blake, former mayor of Baltimore. Great to see you again on the show. Thanks for coming back. Missed ya. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Missed ya. <laughs> she went southern there. Wait, she's the former mayor of Baltimore. She's saying missed ya. Uh, well, that was very nice. Uh, we, we think she's great. And, and here's why. Uh, it's important to have a conversation in America about this issue, about a lot of different issues. We'll have her back on. We'll talk about uh, the issue of systemic racism uh, because that's a touchy subject. But, but she, look, she has a point of view. You might not agree with it. That's okay. We need to get out of our cocoons in America and start talking to one another. Boy, I'm working up a sweat, which is a good thing because I kind of lose weight that way. All right, Anna Perez next with the conservative, conservative cartoonist. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Hey, look, for a party that is compromised of the, quote, creatives of society, you know, actresses and artists, you name it. Democrats' approach to humor and art these days is alarmingly Stalinistic. Meanwhile, on the conservative front, the creativity is booming. When it comes to memeing and political cartoons, some have even credited meme makers and cartoonists for Trump's win in 2016. Well, Real America's Voice correspondent Anna Perez had a chance to sit down with a leading voice in the world of political cartoons. He's nationally syndicated political cartoonist Tony Branco. He's also known as AF Branco. To talk about his work, here's what he had to say. Under Trump, I feel like you saw more of this, I guess, resurgence of like, me making political cartoons, I felt like it really blew up during that time. Did you feel like that was a good opportunity for you as a political cartoonist? Yeah, uh, it, it gives me an opportunity to uh, uh, really focus in on a point, make a, a critical point that I feel needs to be made, uh, whereas an op-ed piece or uh, long, uh, or or an interview or, or something on television talking ahead may be able to uh, really get into it, whereas a cartoon, you have to make a specific point, and uh, they're very handy for that. A lot of people aren't, aren't really focused on the, uh, on, on the issues. Uh, cartoons are a way to exchange and share and uh, uh, share points and views that may not otherwise be shared. Yeah, and I think it makes it more palatable for people. Um, I think it's a way that people will be able to, you know, at least laugh, even if they don't necessarily agree with it. But what I think is interesting is on the left, you see this push to sort of get rid of that. They almost want a more like, you know, serious approach to this. They can't seem to laugh at, you know, a lot of these things that even they may not agree with, but would otherwise be funny. Do you feel like you're getting a lot of backlash for that? Have you have you been banned anywhere at all? Has your work been censored? 
Uh, yeah, on Facebook, I've noticed it quite a bit. On Twitter, of course, uh, just like anybody else that's conservative, where they're they're trying to marginalize and and push us to the side. Uh, it, it's yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great opportunity, and um, uh, of course, I'm I'm being being uh, focused in on at times, but not as much as some of the more uh, the larger profile conservatives. Yeah, definitely. And I also think, and I know we were talking about this before, you tackle in particular the issue of wokeness and, you know, this critical race theory that's being pushed by the Biden administration. Do you feel like people get more, that seems to be something that is a real trigger for people on the left more than anything, almost maybe that in the border, um, I suppose. But do you feel like people are more sensitive to those topics? What What would you say is the response? Right now, I think it's the 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 biggest issue that we have facing conservatives right now. Um, my pet peeve has always been the media, the uh, the biased, uh, definitely trying to uh, cultivate a narrative that fits their agenda. And basically the media is the talking arm of, of the Democrat party. Wokeness is a little bit different. Uh, I view it more like a cancer on critical thinking. It's a cancer on our history, our, hu our humor, comedy, free speech, and honest debate. Uh, it really needs to be addressed, and, and I'm trying to address that through cartoons as much as possible. It's, it's, I, I equate it to the Chinese Cultural Revolution with a little bit of the French Revolution mixed in. Um, people are losing their jobs. Uh, it's very serious. I know that cartoons are supposed to be somewhat humorous, and I try to throw a little bit of humor <laughs> in there. But uh, yeah. at the same time, it's a very, very serious issue right now. Uh, it needs to be talked about a lot more. Well, joining me now on set, uh, Anna herself. Anna, Anna, good to see you. Thanks. Good to see you. Great interview, by the way. Thank you. Uh, interesting. I, I like your question about, you know, whether or not he was banned. I like a lot of your questions, but whether or not he was banned. I mean, you know, he's going to take some hits as a conservative out there. What was your take? Right. Well, I think that he had a lot of great things to say. I think he brought up a really good point when he compared this almost to the French Revolution, to what's happening in China right now. Um, and to your point at the beginning, it's, it's so true that what we're seeing right now is that the creativity is far more on the right than the left as far as doing things like creating political cartoons and creating memes. You know, for a party that, as you said, is comprised of creatives, so to speak, mm -hmm. they're not exactly taking these hits very well as a... And, and, you know, to his point, it's it's supposed to be palatable. When mm -hmm. you receive this point in a, the form of a political cartoon, it's supposed to be, you know, pointing at hypocrisy in a playful way. Mm -hmm. But it seems to be very difficult for the left to sort of, I guess, grapple with this. And, you know, what he was talking about, I think, mostly, and in, in, as far as tackling the the topics of wokeness mm -hmm. and critical race theory, um, those are the hardest things I think for them to grapple with, like taking any hits from in that area, because I think that that's all that their party has to offer right now. Mm -hmm. Things like, okay, well, we're going to make sure that, you know, white people are on the same playing field as black people, or, you know, everything's racist, everything is this. Mm -hmm. And once you take out the color of language and take out the fun of everything, you know, what do you have left? Oh, I think that's a great point. And, you know, liberals are so uptight. <laughs> I mean, they always make it sound like conservatives are uptight. I don't know if conservatives are uptight. I feel like the reason we're so, you know, conservatives are so creative is because, you know, they're, they're, they're frustrated, but so they got to take out their, 
in some sort of creative way, they got to take out a little bit of the frustration. So, you know, have a little fun with it, too. Yeah. And, you know, this is we also saw, like we talked about Trump, um, mm -hmm. how under Trump, this actually appealed to a lot of young people. We're seeing a lot of young conservatives that this is really resonating with. Being able to have fun, you know, make fun of things on the Internet. This has been a really creative way for the Republican Party to build a base for young people, because to your point, mm -hmm. you know, they're liberals are no longer the party of fun. You know, it used to be years ago yeah. where they at least supported free speech pretty consistently. That was sort of their thing. And, you know, the conservatives were the fuddy-duddies. Now, you know, we're sort of, the conservatives are sort of the fun people. They're the ones who are being creative and taking advantage of, you know, I, what I thought in, was interesting in the mm -hmm. interview is he referred to this as a great opportunity. And I think that's, mm -hmm. that kind of shows the difference in mindsets between liberals and conservatives. Like, we are seeing this, fine, ban conservatives as much as you want, mm -hmm. but they'll just make more and more opportunities opportunities for their voices to be heard. And, you know, political cartoons are a very creative avenue to do that. Yeah, so that's interesting. It is a great opportunity. And if you think about it, it's kind of like uh, uh, the darkness before the dawn, you know, this idea of like, you know, you never know where. And this is a great opportunity for conservatives to kind of strut their stuff a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thanks, Anna. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. Good stuff. All right. Uh, when we come back, more of me. Thank you so much. Uh, no, uh, though my mom would like it. Uh, actually, coming up next is the last sip. I was at the White House uh, press briefing today. I got a question in. Jen Saki, we call it the Saki Sot. We're going to play the Saki Sot uh, here in a moment. I talk about unity and infrastructure. Wait till you hear it. More of me, uh, which I get paid at, literally by the word, so I'm kind of excited to hear more words of mine in a moment. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. I've got my mug out here because it's time for the last sip. I was at the White House briefing today. Jen Saki. this was my question. Have a look. Hi, David. Hey, Jen. Hey, a question on unity. Um, you know, you talk about earlier, you said you wanted to bring, or the president wanted to bring the country back uh, together. So I guess the question is, uh, he has not met with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, according to Kevin McCarthy. Uh, what does that say about unity? And also there are some other legislative issues as it relates to HR1 and a commission to study uh, packing the Supreme Court, as you would say. Uh, and there's a lot of other lists as well, budget reconciliation. So there's a lot of folks, you talk about tens of millions of people, they're concerned about that this doesn't seem like unity at all. Do you think tens of millions of people are concerned about him not meeting with Kevin McCarthy? No, I think tens of millions of people are concerned about H.R. 1 and budget reconciliation and going with a 50-vote uh, threshold. I think I'm that was a concern. I'm not sure the polling bears that out, but I will say yeah. that the president's view is that bringing the country together is bringing the American people together. So when I say he's uh, he is focused on uh, re bringing you know bringing people together, bringing Democrats and Republicans together, he's not talking about solving bipartisanship in. 
the this zip code here. He is talking about proposing policies that address the crises that we're facing, whether it's getting the pandemic under control, putting people back to work. Yes. A lot of those policies he's proposed, whether it's the American Rescue Plan or the American Jobs Plan, are supported by the vast majority of the American public, Democrat, Republican, independent. They certainly want to see him working with with Republicans and Democrats uh, and here. And he's he's absolutely doing everything he can to do that. He's had a number of Republicans down here to the Oval Office. Uh, he's looking for it. We're, we're going to be reviewing their proposals. And I think certainly people see that, see him rolling up his sleeves and ready to work with people of all different viewpoints. Real quick, why not separate the infrastructure bill the Republicans have, whatever, whatever it is, $800 billion or so? Why not just take that, call it unity, call it a deal, and then move on to some of the other legislative priorities within, within the total construct? Well, David, as you know, you need 60 votes. You can talk to uh, Republicans in, in the Senate and see how many votes they have. But I will say that where we are now is that we are certainly uh, taking a look at the proposal. Right now, there's deep in the weeds, sometimes nerdy conversations between staffers, members of Congress. We have lots of follow-up questions. I'm sure they have lots of follow-up questions. We're sharing ideas. That's actively happening now. He'll invite some members next week, bipartisan members, to come to the Oval Office and have a discussion about it and what the path forward looks like. Jen Psaki, uh, in the briefing room today, I got to ask a question. I also got a COVID test. I'm COVID free. Back in a moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. End of the show, and I don't want Joe Weber to take this the wrong way, but it is the end of the show. Therefore, we must go to Joe Weber uh, the news editor at justthenews.com. Joe, don't take it the wrong way that you're not the lead story. Last shall be first. <laughs> Thank you for the biblical reference. I think that's the Bible. Wait, let me think. All right, anyhow, uh, tell us what's going on at uh, justthenews.com today. Okay, well, that didn't take long. The uh, House Republicans are having their annual retreat. Um, they usually try to keep a pretty tight lid on this kind of thing. I remember having covered them in years past in Hershey and at Greenbrier, they wouldn't even let you into the main room and they would sort of come out and talk to you. But it appears as if Liz Cheney, Congresswoman from Wyoming, and uh, then blew the lid open on some stuff today when she said that she didn't agree with um, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy about how the scope of the January 6th riot investigation should go. She, uh, McCarthy, would prefer it to be more widespread, including the summer ones. Um, Cheney said, I think I agree with. For the, for the way Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker, has the narrow focus of the January 6th um, uh, riot. Now, this kind of what the Republicans did not want to do is blow a lid on this. They're very close to perhaps winning back the House. Well, they didn't need to have any fireworks here. I think if there were any messaging out of this retreat was to let's try to have some unity, uh, and this didn't really happen today. So. Joe, I would think that at this point, Republicans have to be kind of licking their chops. I mean, this idea that they can take back the House. I mean, if actually, if they don't take back the House, that's going to be a big disappointment. Yeah, it's theirs to lose. That's the point I was really trying to make. I would think that they would try to have some unity, not have a lot of controversy, say, look, let's just stay on message. Let's just stay on the idea that, you know, 
Biden is overspending with these major stimulus bills. He messed up at the border. We're going to be the party of the fiscal conservatives and not try to stop some of this infighting. But yet here it happened on the first day. That I would think that there would be a setback for them and their strategy to win back the House. Yeah, for sure. All right, Joe Weber, uh, good to see you, sir. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right, uh, Joe Weber at the end of the show, but first in our hearts, uh, for sure. Uh, By the way, speaking of the Republicans, you know, that NRCC memo we put out at the top of the show, we showed about uh, all that information about Pelosi. Hey, look, they've tried to go down the Pelosi road before, and uh, it hasn't quite worked out in some of the midterm elections. So we'll see how much damage they can do when it comes to talking negative about Nancy Pelosi. All right, that does it from the couch set. I love this couch set. I feel like Oprah. I'll be honest with you, without the money. See you tomorrow.